The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Great, great song. Thank you very much. All right, I invite your attention this morning to Colossians chapter 1, New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, many of you probably memorized the Bible this way, but you find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, God's uh, electric power company, or go eat popcorn, depending on how you want to do it. So you figure that one out. But we'll be in Colossians 1 today, and uh, we will continue our study as we have been the last several weeks over the attributes of God, who this God is, the back to the basics. And uh, we've seen this picture up on the screen several times of this uh, food preparation on the screen of back to the basics and who God is. And I just want to say again that the reason we're studying this is not just to get more head knowledge, although that's certainly a byproduct. We want to know more about who God is, church, so that we can know better how to live out the faith that he's given us. And that is our goal every time we study and open God's word. And I just want to also, as, as we go through the sermon, after the sermon, uh, being the second Sunday of the month, we will be partaking of the Lord's Supper, observing the Lord's Supper afterwards. And so uh, we will look forward to that as we uh, end our study after the sermon today. I invite you to Colossians 1 at that point. You know, uh, I have another older man joke, uh, Don Harrison, this has nothing, I'm winking at Don as I say this, this has nothing to do with you, uh, but I thought it was a good illustration about where we're headed today. But an older man had, a, had some health problems, and of course, he went to the doctor to visit. And what did his doctor tell him to do? What's the main problem? What do you think it was? Sleep? Someone said sleep. How about diet? No one said diet. How about this? And the doctor lectured him at a long time. He said, you've got to stop eating out. You've got to stop eating junk food. You've got to eat healthy, or else you're going to have some problems. And he gave him a long list of things he can't eat and a long list of things he can't eat. Some of you are in that now, and it's not fun. And so the man called his sons, and as a good father would, he told his sons that his health is declining and he can't eat here, there, and everywhere. And uh, his son should be concerned about him because he can't eat here, there, and everywhere. Not because his health is bad, but he can't eat here, there, and everywhere. And so he explained the doctor's prognosis, and he asked them to call him in a couple weeks to see how he was doing. So two weeks later, one of the man, old man's sons called to check on him, and he said, okay, dad, how are you doing? Uh, the doctor gave you instructions. Are you following them? How is it going? And do you know what his father said in all of his old man wisdom? He said, I've changed doctor's son since then, and I can eat here, there, and everywhere, and I feel just <laughs> fine. And that's how it is. You know, sometimes our response to truth is not the best response to truth, is it? It actually changes quite a lot. That's why I think Proverbs twenty three twenty three. I, I I've read over this. I just didn't encapsulate this verse very well in memorizing, but I think it's a great verse about where we're headed today as we look at God's supremacy. Proverbs 23 says, but buy truth, B-U-Y, truth, and don't sell it. Buy wisdom, B-U-Y, instruction and understanding, because that is where everything is found. Friends, the word truth is a difficult word today is in our culture. For this man, it was hard for him to grasp the truth that he had to change his diet, but being difficult 
in a, uh, trying not to be difficult with this word truth is something that we as Christians have to worry about because truth is so clear to us, but to the world it's so muddied and so misunderstood. And if there's an issue ever in your life, in your family, or someone else between what is truth and what the Bible says is truth, friends, let me tell you that Christ has the victory of truth every chance, every day, doesn't he? Because he's the victor, the ultimate victor. But what is this truth that we should be going after? Is it just to change our diet to be healthier? That helps. But how does this thing called God's supremacy? You know, I'm a big fan of pizza. I think you've, you've kind of learned I'm a pretty simple guy. I like pizza. And my favorite type of pizza is supreme pizza. You know why? Because it has everything on it. You can't miss a thing on it. Yesterday, we went out to eat for breakfast, Natalie and I and the kids, just because we're packing our house, and it's just hard to find things and do things. We had the works omelet. It's like everything but the kitchen sink thrown in there. You know what I'm saying? Friends, we're going to look at a thing today called God's supremacy. God is over all things. God's truth is over all things. What does that mean for us? Well, that's where the big idea comes from, because one truth that's so true as we look at this thing called God's supremacy is simply this. The big idea is we stand up tallest when we kneel before God and his authority and come under that authority of his word in our lives. It's kind of like that little kid, I think I've used this illustration before, that the, the parent says, sit down, go sit in the corner, and the kid says, no, but I'm standing in my heart. You know what I'm saying? They think they're doing the opposite, and often we do that with Christ. We say, God, you told me to do this, but I want to do that. And friends, often where we get most influence is the secular worldview around us. When I say that word worldview, what I simply mean is how you view things that come across your radar in life. And so there are two worldviews according to the Bible. There's the Bible's worldview that says there's a God who's all-powerful, sovereign, and there's that word again, supreme over everything. And then there's the other side. You might call it secular humanism or the secular worldview. It's atheistic. It says there's no God. There's not even one true God. And man is the starting point. And when we look at things like the nature of man, who man is, this Christian worldview that we have says that we are a special creation made in the image of God. But if you go on the other side, the world will tell you that you're just a single-cell organism run amok. And that you're a glorified ape that's lost most of his hair, and that you somehow got double thumbs, and you're a cosmic accident with no rhyme. Happy Valentine's Day to you today, folks. You know, and this worldview also separates truth as Christians differently than it does the world. We say that truth is absolute, that what is true is true for all people of all time in all situations. But the secular worldview says that nature is a closed system, that all we can do is know what we know from the people we know around us, that there's no supernatural like God, and therefore, why would you ever presume to know anything as a Christian? Because, well, quite frankly, you're just wrong is what the world will say. What about ethics? You know, many of you have to deal with these ethics in your job sometimes, don't you? Do I do this, even though I know the Lord says not to, but my mouth says I'll lose my job if I don't? Well, the Christian worldview says we have ethics that are absolute in every situation. And the opposite of that, the world says that it's cultural, depends on the culture, the situation, or the ethics of the ethics, if you want to go that far. Ethics in our culture may not be the ethics in Africa. Ethics in Africa may not be the ethics in Australia. And some professors have even gone as far as to say that the Nazi Germany and, the, and all the killing of the Jews was okay because that was their ethic for the day. Wow. Friends, this thing called truth is really important, isn't it? 
And we talk about being God being supreme over truth, and in culture, we have to know what this is. But before we get there, let's look at where we've been the last several weeks. So I'll have Amy go and put that up there. We've been studying why God, because God is the only one that we can boast in. God is one. He's a trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In our third week, we looked at God is independent of us. He doesn't need us, but he allows us through his grace to serve him. Last couple weeks ago, we looked at God's plans, that God has a plan for each of us. And you know what? It may not be uh, uh, roses and red, uh, how does that work? Roses and flower beds, is that the right phrase? It often can be a hard time, but that may be what God's doing in your life to bring others to him. And last week, we looked at God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, and God is everywhere but not in everything. And so, friends, today we look at the God's supremacy. God is overall, And I want to answer four questions this morning that are so important to you. We beat around the bush a little bit in our opening illustrations. But I really want to hammer these out from the text today. Because these are things that that secular worldview will butt heads with for the rest of your life as you live the Christian life today. How does God being overall, being supreme, inform us about who I am? Why in the world am I here? And thirdly, and this is probably the most awkward of the conversation, what is wrong with me? Some of you say it's because I'm a Mizzou fan, and that's part of it, yes, but there's also other things we'll look at. And how can what is wrong be made right this morning? Friends, I want you to see that as we look at God being supreme over all, that that informs everything to the very core of who we are and how that impacts us each day of the week. And with that in mind, if you'll join me, if you're able this morning, as we read through Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, if you'll join me in standing for the reading and honoring of God's word this morning. This is Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. There's, uh, we're jumping in mid-sentence here, but this is the passage that is very much about who Christ is and what he has done for us and his nature and attributes. Start in verse 15, reading out the ESV, the uh, same translation you have in your pews there. It says, he, that's Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent, or might have preeminence in your translation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind by doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, subtle or stable rather, and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which have been proclaimed in all creation and under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. God is supreme. Is he supreme in your life today as we go before him and study? Let's pray as we seek the Lord this morning. Father, it is a privilege as always to be up here to share the gospel. And Father, I well know as Uh, We often need to be reminded that this is foolishness up here, Father, unless your spirit so enlivens hearts to hear the gospel, to apply the message, Lord, and to, uh, Father, by the power and divinity of your Holy Spirit, to apply the message in obedience and sanctification. So, Father, uh, take the foolish words of this preacher, Lord, 
Father, and use them to your glory and to your honor. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Tower View. Thank you for the, the congregation that we have, the staff, the blessings you've given us across the board. But Father, we most of all thank you for the greatest love gift ever, and that was Christ, Father, that we celebrate every day. Thank you so much for this, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. You know, before we uh, kind of get started about answering these questions, I want to give you a picture of those four questions you see on the screen about how the secular viewpoint would answer these questions. Some of these may not be a surprise to you, but I want to make sure you understand what is not Christian out about what we're going to study through Colossians about God being supreme over all. First thing you need to see is this from the secular viewpoint. In answering that question, who am I? The answer from a secular viewpoint, if you ask most secular people, would simply be this. You are nothing. You are an accident. You are a mistake. You're a glorified ape. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't give me a whole lot of self-esteem, does it you? It probably doesn't to you either. You're the result of a random process, the secular viewpoint would say. There's no rhyme, no reason, no purpose for your life. You just happen to be a cosmic accident. Well, happy Valentine's Day for the second time to you. Secondly, how would they answer, why am I here? Why am I here? I think if you boil everything this world's about, you could get it into two words. We are here, according to the non-Christian viewpoint, to consume and to enjoy. Get all you can. And, and if you get it, can it like a mason jar all that you get. That's why you're here, they say. Only, you're the only thing that matters. You know, I can't think of his name, but I, I remember hearing a quote in college about the Chrysler, the gentleman who made Chrysler. And he was asked how much money was enough for him. And here's what his answer was. He said, just a little bit more but always just a little bit more. He was never satisfied. But think about this. If you're just an accident and exist to consume and enjoy, the only thing that matters is if you are more powerful than someone else and have something and take something else that someone else has. And if I'm more powerful than you are, you're more powerful than I am, there's no rhyme or reason for you if I'm more powerful than you or if you're more powerful than me. And it's incumbent on me to take you out because you're getting in the way of my enjoyment and my satisfaction. Friends, this is why we fight wars, isn't it? If you think about it. I mean, have you, think about the logic here. I've used a lot of World War II illustrations lately, but think about a culture that one time said there's one race further evolved than all other races, and that is the Aryan-German race they said back then, isn't it? And more dominant, and we must usher in the next level of evolution. We have to be very careful not even to look down on Hitler Germany because, friends, in our culture today, we have another thing. What our scientists and biologists do to the baby in the womb is very much similar to this, isn't it? It's the same concept as eugenics is what the Hitler and his goons basically put together. They say, well, all that's involved with the baby is just a lump of flesh, just some random cells that happen to be. And you know what? You know, your child's going to be severely handicapped or deformed and will hinder your ability to consume and enjoy. So just, just do the deed, get it done, move on with life. Or worse, you're old, you're feeble. Huh. Uh, the end is near. <laughs> you don't have a right to die, but you have the duty to die, the secular viewpoint would say. So here's a little cocktail. Save your kids the time, save your kids the heartbeat, save your kids the money, and just get it done. Just like that. Now, you don't hear it in such stark terms in the media, do you? But friends, that is exactly where you land with that question, why am I here, if you don't know Christ? What about the third question? What is wrong with me? If you boil it all down, I think it can be argued that the world viewpoint would say that you're basically insufficiently educated and you're insufficiently governed. 
people don't know enough and they aren't being watched enough. Well, what do we do to be made right? You know what the answer usually is, the last question? More education and more government. If we can just educate people with the right stuff, we can teach them the right tricks. But you know what happens with that? You get some really sophisticated criminal minds type people, and they do some awful things, don't they? It gets kind of crazy. If you take a sinful and murderous person from the heart and show them a more sophisticated way to do it, they're just going to carry it out. Friends, these questions, I hope these questions in a church leave you wanting, uh, lacking something in your heart, and feeling empty. So how do we respond to this? How does this God who's supreme over all tell us that we are different from the world and different in the way that we see? Let's go through these questions on the opposite side. Are you ready? Let's go through it. First question is this. Who am I? Look back at verses 15 and 16. The answer of the who am I begins, friends, with who Jesus is. Look back at verse 15. He is the image, Christ is, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible, invisible, dominions, thrones, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It almost seems, doesn't it, like this text doesn't answer the question. I mean, during the question on the screen is, why am, who am I? And if you're starting with me in this, why does the, start, the text there and start with who he is? Friends, it's because Christ is supreme. Because the Christian worldview always asks the question, who am I, is not so important as who he is. That's why we don't give you 15 steps to a better life here at Tower View necessarily. Yes, there's application from sermons and Bible studies, but the answer to the question is always back to the creator of all things, isn't it? The answer to the question is, is, this, is Jesus is the exact picture of who God is. He's God on earth. He's God with us, God among us. He is the almighty. He's the creator of all things in heaven, on earth, thrones, dominions, authorities. He's not like us. And aren't you grateful, guys, that God is not like us? He's so different. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the what, church? The heavens and the, or the earth, good. You passed for today's test, congrats. But you know what? That's why last week we looked at Psalm 139. Because, friends, we believe that God knit me together in my mother's womb. We believe that I am not the result of random processes. We believe that whether you are tall or beautiful, small or short, fast or slow, in whatever way, whether you're handsome or whether your body functions perfectly or in a deformed state, you are the crown and the glory of the creation of God. And as a result, you have inherent dignity, you have inherent value, and you have inherent worth, person here today, friend here today. Isn't that so different? from what the world says about who we are. That's why we can't understand classism and racism and eugenics and all the junk that's out there. Whether you are like the old song, red, yellow, and a lot of you are wearing red today, whether you are red, yellow, black, and white, thank the Lord we're precious in His sight. Amen? But the question still lingers. You know, the, the smart person will come back and say, well, Darren, you know, um, wasn't it in the confines of a Christian worldview that racism, the Crusades... All this terrible stuff happened. How do you answer that question? What do you do with that? Because, friends, that's history. You can look that in any history book. It's there. Let's be very clear. Just because something happened in the name of Christ does not mean that it was right, does it? And because God is supreme, what made it stop? What worldview made it stop? 
Because, friends, what worldview rose up and says, you can't claim that God is above all and hold and despise men for the color of their skin? Who was it? It was true Christians who saw that God created all equal in his sight. Were there some wrong things that Christians had done, friends? As a pastor, you'll hear it from the pulpit. Yes, there were in the name of Christ. Go read the Crusades. That's probably the second best study of history I love. But by what standard do we rise up as a church and as Christians and say, no, this is wrong? It is the supremacy of God. When we grasp the supremacy of God in Christ, we cannot escape this truth. Friends, who are you? Who am I? You are the crown and glory of the creation of God. I don't care what anyone has ever told you. Some of you grew up with parents who told you, I mean, quite frankly, if, if I can say this, that you were a mistake. Not jokingly, you know, I, my parents joke with me that I was the, the surprise child. But there's a difference between someone calling someone a surprise child and calling someone an accident. Friend, if you're here today and someone has told you that lie straight from the pit of hell, you are inherently valuable in the life and ministry of God. You are the crown and glory of His creation. Regardless of your situation at birth, regardless of the difficulties you wrestle with, regardless of your class and your job and your station in life, because of the supremacy of God in and through and above and for all things, you are what the creator of the universe says you are, not what your culture says you are, not what your whatever says you are. If you are in Christ, you are who he says you are in him and only in him. And by breathing his, by breathing his very life into you, you have value. You have value. He says you have validity, value. He says you have dignity. He says you have worth, and he will recognize that in you only by, through, and to who? Jesus Christ. Do you see how this theology of who God is supreme, it sounds just so heady, so out there, so seminary-like, but friend, if you're here today, know that who you are is you are founded in Christ. And there is no place you want to be other than in Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, the only identity that you can have that really makes sense is who Christ is. Someday, God will have you give an account of your life, non-Christian friend, and the only thing that will save you is the blood of the cross. But when you pass away, it's too late. There's no redo button. I love video games, or I used to love video games, but there's no continue button. I used to love where you, if you died a million times, you could always go back to the place you started. We don't believe in reincarnation, do we? Not at all. We believe there is one way to heaven, and it's through Christ and only through Christ. Who are you? If you're not in Christ, we'll get there in point three. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. But if you're a Christian here today, can I just be honest with you? You need to find, ladies especially, your, your identity is not what the latest magazine says that you are. Your identity is not what the latest mom blog says you should be. And there always aren't bad things, but if your identity is not in Christ, preach the gospel to yourself. God, I've fallen from sin, but thank you in Christ, I am complete. God, I've gone this way, but thank you in Christ, I can be found perfectly righteous in your son. And what a blessing that is. God is supreme even over identity. That's the first question. Let's go to the second question. Why am I here? Many of you are listening to the sermon, you're thinking, man, that's a great question, Pastor. But you know what? Why are you here overall? We're so grateful you're here. Remember, the world says you're here to do two things, right? You're here to consume and to enjoy. That's what the world says. But look back at verses 17. Uh, let's go through actually 16 through 18. Again, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have preeminence. Friends, this is in and outside of the church that we believe this. But it brings us to a, a place of unquenchable materialism if we believe we're just here to consume and enjoy. I mean, think about this for just a second. Think about how practical this gets. If you don't have what Christ is telling you we should have here today, we have a culture that looks at children not as a blessing, but as a blight and a burden, don't we? We have a culture uh, among us, even, let me just say this, even in the poor countries, those of you who served overseas, you know that it's not a question of uh, how many kids will we have. Uh, it's a question of let's have as many as we can before God. And this isn't an endorsement to have 20 kids. If God blesses you with 20 kids, you have a super strong life in the grace of the Lord. Amen? But today we ask how many children in this culture can we afford Today we have houses that are larger than they've ever been and families that are smaller than they ever have. Why do we have minivans? Why do we have super SUVs when our attitude is a boy for me, a girl for you? Praise the Lord, we're finally through. I mean, think about this. Why? Because they get in the way of our consumer enjoyment, our consuming and our enjoying. They cost too much. Yeah, sometimes they do. We're still in the diaper stage, and every time we give out diapers, boy, that, that bill rings up. But that's the secular worldview, folks. That's not the Christian worldview. Because God is supreme, the ultimate purpose of all things is to bring Him glory and Him honor. Who am I? I am the crown and glory of Jesus Christ made in the image of God. But why am I here? And this is the first point you'll have up there. You're here to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ whether by many kids or some, and I know there's issues of fertility in there, but friends, whatever station you are in life, know that you can use that station, that part, your stage of life, to know that Christ is Lord over all. Why am I here? You're here to bring glory to God in the most mundane circumstances. God is most glorified in you, has been well said by John Piper, when you are most satisfied in Him. But Christ has supremacy over your life. Christ has supremacy over the church. But why are you here? You are not here just to consume and to enjoy, to live for the weekend. Second thing, you're going to see this up there quickly. God is not against you having things. He is against things having you, church. Think about that for just a second. The question that always they they try and stump the pastor with this is a good question. You know, is it wrong to be rich? We've had this conversation the last few weeks. Guys, is it wrong to be rich? No. Is it wrong to be poor? No. Is it wrong to be middle class? No. It's wrong to know that you're not bringing glory to God no matter what you have in life. It's right, whether you're rich, middle class, poor, somewhere in between all those, to know that God is to be honored above all. That's why you are here. You know, if you're, uh, I remember uh, teaching an online class in college uh, at National American University, and, um, you know, you always can go up to college students and ask them their major, and, you know, here's how you do it. Because most changes to the major, most people change their major for these reasons, I think, you know, the first one is you get that really dreamy college kid. You, you, you ask them, what is, it, what is your major going to be, right? And they say, well, I want to be in pre-med and microbiology, and I'm going to be a doctor, and I'm going to solve the world's cure for cancer. Amen. Great. And then the next question is, is you're a freshman, right? How did you know? Well, because the dream is big. And then you go to the second major, and, and the second major usually is something in the sophomore year. They, they look at the Fortune 500 magazine, and they try and decide uh, who's making the most money and who takes, what takes the least amount of education and major to get there and do that, right? 
And then my junior year, that's when they walk in the counselor's office and they say, uh, what do I have the most hours in, sir? Sounds like I'm going to be taking that major right there, right? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's called the get outology. It's kind of at that point where you're at. Just get out of there. But friends, that's the biblical, or that's the worldly view of how you even look at things like college. But whether you go to a Christian college or not, if you're a Christian here today, you know that God has put you in certain places and has given you a unique set of gifts and talents. Is it wrong to, to use your major to make money for the glory of God? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to seek money for the sake of seeking money to consume and enjoy like the world says? Is it wrong? Absolutely, yes, it is. What if we looked at our education, parents, instead of trying to send our kids off to the biggest college, what if their education was to go and be a missionary for two years? What if their education was to go do a blue-collar job? And I love, if you're a blue-collar worker, I've always envied you, and I don't make, to get your name on a shirt is pretty cool. I've never been able to achieve that. I mean that in all seriousness, because I can't do those things to earn that name. I can't change a tire well. I can't do those things. I'm in awe of all those things. But friends, that Christ would be supreme, even in those most basic decisions. Why are you here? What if we saw our kids, parents, and grandparents not as something to make us proud, but what if we raised them with a keen eye to know why they are here to bring glory and honor to God, that he might squeeze out of them everything for his glory? He's before all things, and because of that, that informs how we do the, even the most practical things. You know, many of you may be looking for new jobs. Why did you, why do you want to change your job? Is it possibly because it's difficult, and I think most of you can agree with that, been there, done that? Or was it because the supremacy of Christ was driving you to stay in a job that may be hard for you? I mean, think about this. Why often do we leave the things that are hardest to us because they're not comfortable, are they? That doesn't mean that you have to stay in and bear everything, but are you simply leaving the job because you want to get paid more and consume and enjoy more church? Or is it because you want to stay the course and live out what God has given you? How about asking myself that? My wife and I had to ask ourselves this question. Why are we applying to XYZ Church at certain times when we were looking? Is it because the benefits package and the notoriety and the pulpit, uh, the, the congregation is larger? Or the gut check time for me as the leader of our home at times was, Darren, is it those things or is it because you want to serve God no matter where he calls you to be served? See how practical this gets. Friends, why are you here? You are here to honor and glorify God no matter where you are. Maybe that means you're at home more than you want to be. Maybe you're not able to do the things, but all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And friends, you have value. You have purpose. There is a reason God has supremely put you in the place you are to honor him wherever that is. Let's go on to the third question. Here's the fun part. You ready for this? What is wrong with me? Now, I'm going to ask you to take out your papers. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding on that. What's wrong with, what, what is wrong with me? You or what's wrong with you? And guess what? Me is what's wrong with me. And, but mainly you guys are, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. It's a bad joke. I'm just kidding. Let's read verses 19 through 21. How does the supremacy of God, God being over everything, inform this question? Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Verse 21, and and y'all, you all, plural, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Friends, what's wrong? And that's the first application point we'll just put up there. It's me. I don't do what I'm meant to do in this life. That's what's wrong with this world today. 
He says here we're hostile in mind. We are the crown jewel of God's creation, but yet we have been created to bring him honor, and instead we've been hostile, we've been at war with, we've been at enmity to the one by whom and for whom we are created. And that's what's wrong with the world today. You know, you can often go up, I'll use another college analogy, you can often know who the philosophy students are because they're weird generally anyway, Matt, you know what I'm talking about, Blake, you guys know this. But there should be a rule, if you've taken one semester of philosophy, you should not be able to ask the following question because you're messed up after taking one semester of philosophy, I'm just going to be honest. Because they'll come up to you and they'll say on the streets or, Pastor, you know, if you believe that God is all-powerful and, and, and can recon- how do you reconcile evil in this world? I mean, come on, he's all good, how does all that work? And the next question, zinger back to him as, you're in your first semester, aren't you? How'd you know? Because if you weren't in your first semester, you would just simply ask the question, if God is so powerful and good, why does bad stuff happen to people all over the world? And I tell them usually on the streets, I've told them before, I'm not going to answer that question until you ask it correctly. And they'll say, well, I'm the one asking the question. How can you tell me how to ask it properly? Friends, and this is when you have to look him in the eye and ask him this question. How can a righteous, holy God know what I did, know what I'm going to do? He's all-knowing last week, remember? Know that all I've thought, know all I've said, and how can he not kill me in my sleep for being unholy before him, a holy God? question is not why there's evil and suffering in the world. The question is why has God not taken us out already? Until you ask that question, guys, you really don't get the issue. Until you ask that question, you believe somehow in some way that people are more deserving than God's wrath. You know, we just sang about that. Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross. Why is it that we are here today at all? I mean, think about that. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, guys, when, when you ask the wrong way and say, well, why is there evil and suffering in the world? You point back to that man-focused secular worldview. But when you ask the question, why does a supreme God who's above all things, who's created me for his glory, who has given me a purpose to live out, and I don't do those things, why is it that he has not flipped the script and taken us out, just just taken us out? Because friends, and Amy's going to put this up on the screen, there will be no mistrials when God is the judge. No mistrials. No hung juries, no whatever you want to say, because how dare I steal his air? I mean, as basic as it sounds, the breath you're taking right now is a gift from God, church, isn't it? It is, and what a privilege that is. The problem is me. The problem is you. The problem is any human who's ever believed. The fact that I don't acknowledge him as he is is the problem in this world. The problem is we often start with measuring ourselves by ourselves, The problem is I judge God based on how he carries out my agenda for the world. I am not a McDonald's fan, but I think they had a great illustration for pastors in the reverse a few years ago. Do you remember a few years back they used to say, it's a McDonald's world, hey, it could happen? You guys remember that? Any McDonald's fans out there? It's okay to admit it. It's okay. A few honest McDonald's fans. Thank you. But do you remember this? Thank you, Blake. Do you remember this a few years ago? It's a McDonald's world. Hey, it can happen. Just whatever you want to do. Here it is. Just just believe hard enough. Do it hard enough, and it can happen. Friend, where does that place the problem? Places it not on my shoulders. It places it on everyone else's. Friends, we want a God that's all-powerful but not supreme. We want a God that basically we can wield his power how we want to when we want to. But if my God is all-powerful and all-sovereign, friends, we are at His mercy. I mean, look at these verses. Everything through here, for in Him and through Him and, and, and you were once alienated, has nothing positive to say about us in that Scripture, friends, but has everything gloriously said about who God is 
and in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who am I? I am the crown and the glory of creation that God knit together in my mother's womb. Why am I here? I am here to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, even if the circumstances aren't favorable to me, that I pray that God uses that for his glory, for his extension of his kingdom. And what's wrong with the world? Your pastor first off, and then you guys, but together collectively, I don't do what I was meant to do. So that leads to the last question. How can what is wrong be made right? How can what is wrong be made right? Let's go back to verses 22 and 23. Because God is supreme, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, have become a minister. Can you imagine what life would be like, church, if God did not throw in there Words like yet or but, but God, yet God, we would be lost. We at this church believe we are a gospel-centered church. That's what we're aiming for. We want the gospel from diapers to major decisions to be preeminent in all things. And that's why the last point, how do we make what is wrong right? It comes back to the gospel. Let's be clear about the gospel. First sub-point here, the gospel is about substitution. It's the holy God dying for the unholy, sinful man. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Acts 4.12. Christ died once for all to bring us back to God. All of us, like sheep, Isaiah 53, have gone astray, but God has caused the sin of us all to rest upon him. So how can what is wrong be made right under the supreme God over everything? Well, every other religious system will tell you, if you ask them, they will tell you basically boils down to a religious experience and doing more good things. And that you hope for the best when you die. You take that crapshoot, so to speak, and you hope for the best. They may differ on what that experience is. For some, it's nirvana. Uh, for others, it's just uh, hoping that Allah gives you the, the there. But there's no sense of security. Other religions outside of Christ have three problems. First, guys, we cannot be good enough incapable, totally and radically depraved are we. Even when I do things I think are good, I do them for the wrong motives. That's what's wrong with us. But what about all the things? What about a religious experience? Well, religious experience is subjective. You know, one, one major world religion now, it's not even a cult. Blake, we were having this discussion at lunch the other day. You know, it's not even a world religion. It's a, a cult. It's a world religion now. They believe that you have to have a burning in your bosom in order to understand what truth is. I call that heartburn, and I take uh, antacids for that, okay? Because you ask them, where's your assurance that you will go to heaven someday when you die? And they just look at you like a deer in the headlights. I have no assurance. I try my best. I leave it for God to take care of the rest. Friends, there is no assurance. But as a Christian, the supremacy of God in truth as it relates to redemption says that God made him who knew no sin, that's Christ, to be sin and for us, and that we might become the righteousness of God. There will come a day when God crushed, or there was a day when God crushed and killed His Son and satisfied His wrath. Don't ever think that God the Father didn't do anything less than He set out to do. It pleased, Isaiah 53, it pleased God to crush His Son so that He could be, as it says in the New Testament, both the just and justifier of Him who has faith in Jesus Christ. Was that enough for Adam's sin? I mean, he literally sent the whole world into oblivion. 
Was that enough for Moses' anger and killing of an Egyptian or Abraham's sin of constantly lying about his beautiful wife, Sarah? But can you hear those rhetorical questions coming from Calvary in the gospel? Was that enough for your sin? Was it enough that the supreme God came down and died for you? Yes, it is. Friends, it's enough. It's enough. How can we all be made right? Can I quote you some famous hymns? Some of you guys know these and they're so true. What can wash away my sin, church? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of who? Of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners, and it says it again, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose, all, lose most of their stains. What is it? It's all. How can what is wrong be made right? Because God is supreme. The spotless, sinless Lamb of God was crushed. He was rejected and he killed to pay a debt he did not owe on our behalf to sinners that could never pay him back. What an amazing God who is supreme. Who am I? I am the crown and glory of creation of God. Why am I here? I'm here to bring glory to God through Christ. What is wrong with me? Well, it's me and and my sin and everyone like me who refuses to acknowledge God as supreme above all. And how can what is wrong be made right? It's through the penal, substitutionary, once-for-all sacrifice of Christ by repentance and turning from your sin and believing the gospel that he died for you and he rose again and he's coming again. That is the gospel. The gospel, last sub-point here, is not just a divine rehabilitation program for the world, friends. It is an accomplished substitutionary work. What it means is simply this. God did not do it three-fourths of the way so you could finish the other quarter experience. It was done. It was done and it's finished. It's been paid in full. You know, as we close, one worldview, guys, leaves you helpless. One worldview leaves you pursuing satisfaction and never finding it. But the Christian worldview says you are precious. You have purpose. You have meaning. And it is found because you were powerless, but you were purchased by a supreme God. And that is who we worship as church this morning. Amen? You know, Tony Evans, I wish I could speak like Tony Evans. What a, what a goal. He's such a godly man. He had a great illustration I heard a long time ago. I've had saved in my uh, kind of illustration folder. It's about his son. It's about a college campus. And I, a lot of college quotes today because this is what you often debate in college stuff. But uh, his son told his father about a pretty girl one time he found on the college campus. Uh, if I understood the illustration right, Tony Evans' son said, this woman was so pretty and there's a picture up, uh, I just picked a random picture, but this was not the girl, but the girl was so pretty, Tony Evans' son said, she could stop traffic, Dad. She was that pretty. Stop traffic. Well, his son got the brave nerve to mosey up to her and ask her name and find out who she was. Now, many of you guys are sweating, thinking about how you got married at some point, had to ask those big questions. That's I'm sure that's sort of what it was like. And he just walked up to her. He's nice there. Try to shake her hand, say hello. My name is Mr. Evans. How are you? And then he gave his name one more time. And the girl looked at him and said, What's up, dog? Home slice? What do you want with me? <laughs> that threw his son for a loop a little bit. If you know Tony Evans, you know he can say this much better than I. But her apparent beauty was simply evaporated once she opened her mouth. 
His words, not mine, but I think it's good. Friends, God's concern is that you are as good-looking on the inside as you seek to be through all your efforts on the outside. And as we walk church the highways and byways and look into the lifeless eyes of this world who believes those four questions in a totally opposite realm, let us be assured that we possess the answer, not by us, but all by God in Christ. Christ and His supremacy are truth. He is above all things. Let's be reassured that um, those who walk aimlessly in this life will never be good with the answers of this culture. Friends, people aren't wanting answers to their questions. They really are. And the further we go with the supremacy of God, the further we run away from anything that will ever satisfy us outside of Him. Is Christ your treasure this morning? I like thank you for sharing that. You know, often we do have to lie to ourselves and sing songs, but Christian, is Christ your treasure today? Is knowing that He is supreme above all your treasure today? I mean, think about this, I mean, even the most practical level, because God is above all. Nothing ever escapes His grasp. We preach a very singular message, church. We really do. We preach Christ and Him crucified, Paul said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. That is our God. May we proclaim this God is supreme passionately. May we proclaim it confidently and relentlessly. That is, after all, why we're here. If you're here today and you are struggling with who you are, may I encourage you to seek after this Jesus, the one who is above all. And let me just be very clear, I didn't really go through verse by verse, but when it says in these verses, he's the firstborn over all creation, that does not mean that Christ was created. He is creator. He is before all things. My mentor of mine, and he'll probably listen to this, but Dr. William Davis at Sycamore Hills, where I came from, his email is WD, William Davis, C-H-P-E. And he has a big placard in his, his thing. You walk in and think, what in the world is CHB? What college is that? He's a KU fan, so I'm not confused. He's confused on some of those things. But CHP, that Christ has preeminence. Christ is above all. Friend, maybe your motto this week needs to be, God, CHPE, Christ have preeminence in my life today. Christian, does he have that preeminence in your life? Is he above all things in your life? What area do you need to go to him at this point? Let's pray as we go forward, Lord. Father, we joke, we kid about colleges and things, but Lord, the serious truth of the matter is, is that as we enter the Lord's Supper time, that Father, even the pastor this week, uh, myself, Lord, I have not always had you of supreme in heart. And Father, we can't walk every moment of every day because we are still sinners this side of heaven. But Lord, help us to fight temptation through the supremacy of Christ. Father, thank you that we are who are we, Lord? We have been created in your image. Why are we here, Father? We're here to glorify and honor you. What's wrong? It's us, Lord. But thank you that your Son has not only satisfied our salvation, but through the work of your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we can have absolute assurance that you have given us enough to live the holy life that you've called us to live. Father, I pray for anyone here struggling to do that. Lord, maybe they put on the church face on Sunday, but on you know, 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, they're right back where they started. Father, I pray if they truly know you in Christ, that you would help them seek out help, Father. Other Christians, uh, through your word, Lord, just encourage them today. Father, if there's any Christians here today, I pray, or non-Christians today, I pray that you would open their hearts to believe the message of the gospel as only found in Christ. 
Father, I thank you that you are not a lesser demigod. You are not a, uh, a God that's carved out of wood or stone, but you are the God who is undescribable, indescribable. But Father, you're the God who condescended, came down to us in Christ, that we who were far off might be made at peace through only the blood of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. Father, be with any church needs we may be missing, spoken or unspoken. We pray this for the glory and honor of your name. Amen.